Welcome to the Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com. Hey, joining today's podcast is my son, Sean Boyle, New York Yankees AAA pitcher. Welcome, Sean. I'm thrilled to have you on the show after 24 episodes. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Dad. Some people might wonder why my son is on the show. The people who know us will understand right away why. And I think the people who watch it are going to soon find out why. Tell us a little bit about how you started in baseball. Like, for example, for the time I was walking down the hallway and noticed you watching a game several times in your room and said, hey, you want to go see a game? Yeah, that's pretty much where it began. You know, baseball sports really weren't our thing. Um, until I, you know, got older and started to, you know, get interested in, yeah, just like that, you know, started watching the Mets on TV and, uh, you know, you, you noticed and you're like, well, why don't we just go to a game? So, you know, I was so happy and excited to go to one of those games. And that was really the beginning, um, you know, so started seeing it on TV and got to see it in person. I'm just like, oh, this is awesome. Like I should try and play. And, you know, from there, this is about eighth, ninth grade. Um, you know, first time in sports and, uh, yeah, I was just excited, you know, it's just something that really seemed to appeal to me. And, you know, when I started it, it was just like, yeah, this is something I could see myself enjoying and keep going with. So, yeah, I, I remember we had never gone to a game before, so I did, I know you wanted to see batting practice. So I wanted to get there early and we were the first one in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we waited for players to come in and. R.A. Dickey, I believe that was one of his uh, really big years with the Mets. And it was great. Yeah. He stopped, signed the ball, still got it today. I mean, it's just that was so awesome that he stopped and he signed the ball for you. I thought that was really good of him, you know? Yeah, no, very cool. And like you said, I mean, I was, we got there so early because all I wanted to do was see what was going on, what this whole thing was about, and, you know, really experience the whole thing. Um, I feel like that really kickstarted this whole journey that, you know, has gotten us to this point. Uh, yeah, you know, just that one moment. Yeah, and I I remember that uh, at the end of your ninth uh, year in school, your freshman year, you tried out for the baseball team just out of the blue, yep. and you went down there with like I think shorts or something. Like you didn't go down in your baseball gear because you never had played baseball. So tell tell them about that. Well, you kind of hit on it right there. Uh, you don't know, you don't know, and I mean. Maybe I could have put it together. I should have showed up in pants, having watched as much baseball as I did. But I had no idea what to do. I, you know, so I showed up uh, going back to the winter workouts. I was the kid that showed up in jeans. You know, had no business being out there. I mean, practically embarrassed myself during those. Um, but hey, that you know, I didn't let that bother me. I just kept showing up, and uh, you know, then tryouts roll around, and there I am out there, Northeast baseball. It's thirty degrees out, and I'm the kid in shorts and a t-shirt, just chugging along, freezing my butt off. And uh, needless to say, I didn't make it. And, you know, there's really two ways to look at it in that moment. It was just like, okay, I didn't make it. Do I just turn it in and, you know, stop trying? Or do I take this and try to figure out how do I turn around? Because, you know, I wanted to play. So ultimately that's what we did. And, you know, that was an easy decision because obviously I wanted to play and, uh, being competitive, you know, that's one of those things that uh, it's just another milestone or a, a bump in the road to, you know, get over. So 
we worked really hard for the whole next year and you know found a way to bring it to 10th grade tryouts and then we made it yeah I, I remember taking you out to dinner after you didn't make the team and saying don't worry about it if you want to make the team we'll work hard and uh next year we'll make it and then practically every day we would go down to the field down the road and at that time you wanted to play third base yeah and we we're doing that for a while uh, but you worked very hard. And so, you know, I was very proud of that because it was a good lesson where, uh, well, you didn't make it that time. You worked hard and then then you made it. You did. And you became a important member on your high school team after that. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about. I mean, the only reason I wanted to play third is because I always thought I kind of had a strong arm. Uh, you know, grow up playing That's football on the back and I would just – I just want a position that I could just throw it, just show off what I could do. Well, that's a funny story. I've told people many times too, where uh, you would throw from, you were good on third base and you would throw to first base and the coaches were yelling at you to stop throwing it so hard. And it would crack me up. It's like, well, they didn't realize you should be the pitcher then. <laughs> I mean, Hey, we all got to start somewhere. So you did have a couple really good high school coaches. You had Eric Joyner, and then our favorite is uh, Lieutenant Dan, Coach Dan. Dan. Yeah. Yeah, I remember first time meeting him. I was uh, went to work out my sophomore year, and um, yeah, he's just coming around. You know, he's popping in and out. Uh, I had no idea what a windup was. He asked me to go from the windup, so it's just one of those, you know kind of funny moments coming from literally no idea about the sport, but right. uh, he's been a huge help along the way, you know, especially he's awesome. being there, just feeding into you, you know, he's one of those people that you keep close. So yeah, he, and there's, he's a, awesome. there's a lot of people like that. Yeah. And then I remember uh, I have an engineering background and in the physics and so you're throwing in the backyard and I'm trying to give you advice how to throw based upon what I think. I have known nothing about baseball. And to this day, we still laugh about some of those early things I was telling you. Uh, I mean, eventually I started reading a lot and, you know, learning a lot more, but the beginning it was, like you said, we knew nothing, you know? Yeah. If we, uh, if we kept up at that pace, it'd be a different show. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's funny. A lot of times, those are the things that are needed to go beyond what the norm is. When you have someone that's outside of an industry come into the industry, they bring different ideas because they they think of it that, well, why is it done that way? Why don't we do it this way? So we didn't do it the way everyone else did because we didn't know any better. We just thought of it logically like, okay, uh, there's more pitchers on a team. So the chances of you making a team are higher if you're a pitcher. Yeah. Uh, then we said, well, how do you make a team? Well, you've got to throw strikes. You've got to get people out. So we focused on those things and not what everyone was talking about. And that's kind of where a lot of new ideas are born in a lot of industries. You know? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, like you said, the, the number one way for us to find a way for me to play and compete was, you know, we just narrowed it down. Okay, most likely going to need to pitch. And, you know, not knowing anything about the game, we really just figured, well, it's better than, uh, than throwing the ball around the zone. So let's just focus on the zone. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and so we had you had been using a Target, uh, some brand, and they were getting shredded left and right. So what we did was we took a backstop and took epoxy paint, and we painted a Target on it. And I would just call out a square, and you would throw to it. And it kind of developed your style to being able to hit a spot on a target. Yeah, you know? I mean, target you just described, uh, you know, looks like a, I don't know, prehistoric relic compared to this thing. So Yeah, but, but you know, that target from six, seven years ago has been outside yep. for six, seven years in all kinds of Northeast weather, and it's still okay. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, now, the other thing is when you got out of high school, you had no offers. You had started to play really well in like a summer ball. And then we were trying to figure out where to go. And another friend, Justin McKay, had mentioned Coach Brown at Suffolk Community College. We didn't know him. Uh, you went down and you enrolled. And that, I think, was probably another one of the great things that you did because Coach Brown is an awesome guy. He's an awesome coach. And I think it was like the perfect spot for you. Like, if you had gone to D1 right away, I don't think it would have been as good as you starting at Suffolk, you know? Yeah, I mean, we'll backtrack a little bit, but, you know, getting over the hump from ninth grade to 10th grade to make the high school team, like, you know, that was already like one of those great moments, you know, and really stands yeah. out, you know, and big milestone. And then to, you know, carry that momentum through the my last three years of high school, um, you know, was was great. Um, really started to figure it out and enjoy playing. Um, but then, you know, high school doesn't last forever. So now you got to find out, all right, well, what's next? And you know, I wasn't the best student in the classroom. Um, I was doing well with baseball, but not ready for you know, an NCAA or whatever. Um, so the combination of needing to figure out a little bit in the classroom and, you know, maybe develop a little bit more on the field, it's like, that's the perfect fit, you know, five yeah. minutes from the house. And then on top of that, you know, couldn't have asked for a better coach to play for and, you know, really learn the game and how to do things the right way. Um, and it was just like, it was just the best place for me, like you said. Um, yeah, and I think it really a... set everything up. It really set everything up you know, heading into, you know, the next few years. And even now, you know, a lot of stuff that we went over there, you know, it's still hold that close. Yeah. I mean, it's a Hall of Fame coach, but he's literally still a friend of mine to this day because he's such a nice guy. And there are lessons that I've mentioned to people many times where, like, I was be, I would be there while you're doing a workout. And then I said, there's one time a guy came in and started mumbling and saying something and arguing with Coach Brown. Coach Brown told him to go in the back for a workout where you guys were working behind a door. And he slammed the door. And then we looked at each other like, whoa, what is this kid doing? And then I asked you later on what happened. And you said, well, after he slammed the door, I told him, we don't do that here. And then that was the end of it. And it was a good lesson to me in a coach setting the culture for the team where like uh, all the teammates kind of set the tone of what should be done there. Yeah. I mean, that's by far one of the biggest things I've learned, you know, especially in college sports. Um, 
you know, you got to have a good culture. I mean, that's like, that's the cornerstone of the program. Like it's hard to move forward from that, you know, and, um, you know, it's Suffolk, you know, you're getting a whole mix of guys in there. So, you know, coach Brown really set the tone every year and really every day, you know, and he, he expected a lot from us. Like it didn't matter how we played on the field, as long as we were doing the things that he valued, which was, you know, five and seven, as he called it, you know, like some good hustle, like, you know, you just always pushing, always trying. It's like, that's all he cared about. And, you know, by come season, we had a group of guys that did just that. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, yeah. I think it's very important. That's why I listed as one of the uh, essential things you need to be a pitcher, like I do at the end of the show. Uh, the other thing was, we had sent your videos and schedule around to people. And uh, one guy who was scouting for the Rangers, I think at the time was Chris Wimmer. And we didn't know him at the time. He's become a good friend. Uh, but he showed up one day to watch you pitch in a game and describe that day. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it uh, a couple of days ago, but to me, it was out of the blue. You know, I like, Hadn't heard from this guy. Actually, we'll backtrack a little bit more. He called me, I believe it was either high school or Suffolk, you know, whatever. We'll call it, you know, 12th, uh, 12th grade or so. And yeah, he gives me a call, introduces himself. I'm like, all right, this is sweet. I got major league, you know, interest. Like, it's crazy. Hadn't heard, you know, it went silent for a couple of years. And then, as we said, out of the blue, this guy shows up to one of the games. I didn't know it until after the game meeting him, but I'm warming up on the side and here's this guy standing right up next to the fence. You know, I'm throwing in the outfield and he's videoing and he's watching and almost taking notes. And I'm just like, this is bizarre. Like, is this guy never seen baseball before? Like, you know, I've never, never had someone watching that close. Um, go about the game. Pretty sure it was a solid outing. Uh, it was one of those games I was throwing on that steel plate covered with sand. But anyway, yep. um, yeah, it's a good game. And then by the end of it, uh, Coach Brown and Coach Bonet were there and uh, they introduce, you know, they, they start talking to Chris Wimmer and uh, they call me over at the end. They're like, you have any idea who this is? And I'm just standing, you know, face to face with this guy. I'm just like, dude, I have no idea who you are. And then sure enough, they're like, oh, it's Wimmer. It was just like one of those, you know, oh my gosh, you meet this guy, you feel like you know him, even though, I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah, it was he's, just, a, he's, a, he's a great guy. I remember we, we talked for a while and then I said, uh, I remember saying, uh, why don't you two talk by yourselves? I'm going to go away for a while. So I, I left you guys alone for about 15, 20 minutes because I wanted him to get you to know you, you know, by himself. And then we went out to dinner and he was a great guy and, and we've been friends ever since, you know? Yeah. And just crazy how things begin. But yeah. So I remember like, uh, some of those fields, like in particular that one you talked about, had a, a metal plate with sand on top of it, make your feet slide very dangerous. And a lot of them had divots right by the rubber. And so we talked about it having a different kind of, not a windup, but keeping your foot planted on the uh, rubber and then moving back, it created a different style. And the reason for that was so that you wouldn't step back and then step into a hole. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, we weren't playing on the best of services, so you know, yeah. kind of had to, kind of had to roll with the punches and find a way to be able to perform because, 
you know, if we did it like everybody else in that time, it was pretty easy to be inconsistent with how you're setting up and all that. So we, we yeah. did what we could with what we had. Yeah, you're experimenting even back then, right? Yeah. And, and then another one that I think is important, when you first went to DBU, and uh, your first start against Baylor, you got rocked. And you had something like a 90 array with nine innings, and you were having a rough time. And as it was that point, you had to figure out a way to then overcome that again. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, you know, that junior year was not not something I'd like to remember. But looking back, you I, know, it's important that I do because it's it's I think another, it was an important time, yeah. Yeah, like without that year, you know, that was another hurdle um, to try to find a way to, you know, elevate the level of play and, you know, and keep this thing moving along. Um, I remember, you know, we would talk about things and try to figure it out. And then uh, one day I, I got a call from Coach Brown um, and he's, you know, he's just saying, hey, how's everything going? Obviously, it was going very poorly, nine innings pitched compared to 30 or 40 innings pitched the you know year before with him. And I was just like, coach, it's not going good. You know, like I have no idea what's going on, you know, and almost questioning whether or not I belong there. And he was just like, well, I was looking at your video and I mean, this is not like what you were doing. And I mean, you're all at it. You're all out of whack. So, I mean, come to find out, I believe you two were talking, you know, and trying to figure out, a way to like yeah. subtly well, sprinkle it in there, but it was just like, well, what happened? That was one of those things that we really needed to kickstart the whole re revamp or whatever you want to call it. Well, what happened with that was I saw some things you weren't doing like you had normally done, and you weren't really paying attention to me. And so I called Coach Brown. And I told, listen, if you tell him this, he's going to listen. Yeah. And I had him call you. And then after that, if you remember, we kept. Uh, remember we had the video in the bullpen that we worked from then on? Yep. Remember the little tripod? And so that kind of got you back into, because I had seen you throw a thousand times. So I, I knew exactly how you throw, and it was easy for me to see it. Coach Brown had also seen you thrown a thousand times. So for us, it's very easy to see. You know, But again, uh, I've said to you many times, I could have told you a lot of things. It's still was up to you. Meaning I could have worked with other kids or someone else and told them all the same things. Uh, you still have to do it yourself, you know? And so you did, you know? But I think these are good things to bring up because I think uh, other people watching this, if they have kids or in high school or college, it's important to note that you're gonna have obstacles that you have to overcome. And when you see someone like you that's in AAA, you think, oh, well, it was just easy for them. But no, you had to struggle a lot of times. And that's okay. And I think a lot of times that's the point where you really learn. If it comes along too easy, you don't learn. When you learn those hard lessons, like, like the lessons at Baylor, it's a hard lesson to learn, but you learn from that, you know? Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's not too many hard lessons, but... I mean, then again, here we are again, you know, rehabbing. It's another one of those hurdles. Well, the other thing, too, you came across was when COVID came, uh, you were still kind of stuck in the GCL for a long time. Then COVID came. Then you were working out by yourself. 
And I remember I made you two targets, uh, the manual versions. And you were working by yourself using the targets. And you worked very hard. I remember you sending me videos of what you're doing. And then the next year in 2021, you shot four levels all the way to AAA. You threw two no-hitters, one in high A and one in AAA. Uh, that didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of the work you had done in 2020. Yeah, I mean, like we said, the theme here is, you know, coming over, getting over some hurdles. And uh, I was pitching okay in 2018 and 2019, had a good short season, but wasn't enough to finally break it, you know, kick the door into a, a full season affiliate. So right. I had to figure something out and, you know, it sucks that we lost a whole year of baseball, you know, during COVID, but that was kind of the break I needed to try and figure out what needed to be done. And uh, so, yeah, I did a lot of work with the target and, you know, kind of had to essentially, but not that that really changed anything because um, I, it's probably better if I had a catcher to work with, you know, I wouldn't have been able to make those gains, you know, you I mean? wouldn't have done it. And the other thing too, um, I remember looking at how you're pitching and, and, you know, with my involvement with data, I was saying, I called you up one time, I said, you, you need to cut fastball. And I remember you saying, uh, yeah, dad, but uh, I got to listen to my bosses right now. Let's, let's work on a cut fastball in the off season. I said, okay. Well, well what happened was, you know, I tried to throw a cutter or a cut fastball for a long time. You just never figured it out. Just never had a shot. And, I didn't, was, wasn't really convinced that I needed one at the moment. You know, I was just like, all right, stick with the sinker slider. And then 21 comes along and, you know, we changed up the slider grip. Um, and, you know, now I'm throwing, we got some good horizontal going on it. Um, it's okay. We've got two things working for us, sinker, slider. Good. Then you call up, you're like, look, think a cut fastball works well here. It's like, yeah, I hear you, but, you know, I can't be messing around with that right now. And then like three weeks later, you know, Sam Breen comes up and he's like, you ever thought about throwing a cutter, cut fastball? It's like, <laughs> all right, well, I got two people, you know, that I, I respect their thoughts and, you know, so it's like, maybe I should go for this. And then out of the blue, cutter. So it's just like perfect timing, perfect storm. Well, that was the, that was the pitch that you needed against lefties. And that's what yeah. I had seen is that you were you're tearing up righties, but for lefties, it's like you needed that pitch. And again, to your credit, you developed it because again, you could tell a guy that, but in, if he doesn't do it, you know, it's not going anywhere. So uh, no one could take credit for what you did. You can suggest all you want. You still had to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's an important distinction, you know? Uh, the other thing I talk about on the show a lot, too, is that I told you many years ago that there will be a lot of people that really want to help you. They they mean very well. They they love you. They want to help you. And they're very, very wrong, a lot of them. And so learning to politely listen to the advice uh, but not follow it is kind of a something you have to do, right? It's a skill, you know. Yeah. You, don't, you want to be polite. You want to hear people out. But there's a time and a place for things, and uh, you know, especially the further you go. Right. And I think the way you figure that out is, one, you, have to, you learn who to listen to, but also what we talk about a lot is 
uh, to know who you are, what makes you special, why you were drafted, what's going to carry you on. Like, tell them about what Ben Zobrist had told you when on the day that you got drafted when he called you. I mean, you just you essentially uh, paraphrased, but no, yeah, it was cool. You got to got to know him through uh, Dan Heathner at DBU, and um, you know he gave a call when I got drafted, which is really cool. And I was coming off his World Series MVP year, I believe. And yeah, I get a call from him. It's it's like wow, you know, I got to try to think of something good to say here, or good to ask him. You know, I got this wealth of knowledge. This guy's been to the top. You know, he's at the top. And so I asked him, what, what would you tell first year Ben Zobrist? And he said, you got drafted for a reason. You do something that, you know, these scouts like and that they see playing at the, you know, higher levels. So, you know, hold on to that and continue to do that, build on that, you know. And essentially, as you said, know who you are, do it really well. And, yeah, so for me, it was sink or slider you know, hold on to that and run with it. And just like you said, you know, okay, we got that. We got really good at it, but what's going to elevate that package? You know, what was the, what was a, a piece that would plug in really well? You know, it's not like, it's not like I sit there and just go ahead. Oh, I want to start throwing a split change up today or, you know, something, you know, ridiculous or I don't know, just a weird example, but like the cutter cut fastball fit right into that. Well, yeah. Cause you know, from the second book that we wrote, uh, I had those formulas that uh, described pitches by their movement. And then I, what I had done before that was I had looked at pitchers that as they aged, uh, that still did well. And I wonder why that happened. And I figured out that their pitches were different enough for each other in different uh, quadrants, that even if they missed their spot, it was enough to disrupt the batter timing. And so that's why when I looked at your profile, it was glaring. I could glaringly see very easily, hey, if he has a cutter, he's going to be able to cover left. He's going to, it's going to be so much better. Uh, so that's kind of where that came out for me. I don't, I don't know how Sam arrived at the same conclusion, you know. Yeah, all I remember from that was, you know, we had had the conversation a few times over a couple of weeks, and then uh, Sam came into the affiliate and was like, you ever thought about throwing the cutter? And he's like, wow, this is really weird. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, kind of talking about what you said about the different quadrants, it's like um, after the 21 season, I remember I got to face Derek Hall up in AAA, you know, a couple of times. And, you know, I hadn't talked to him a bunch, you know, we're friendly. And, but he gave me a call that off season. Um, so we're just, you know, shooting the breeze and going through some stuff. And he's just like, dude, like, you know, really cool to see you, you know, shoot up there and facing you. It's just like, you know, he wanted me to know I got three or four pitches that if I just funnel them down the middle and let the break take care of it, he's like, dude, that's tough to handle. You know, that meant a lot coming from him. You know, he's a really good bat and, uh, you know, thoughtful player. So it's like, you know, to hear that from him meant a lot. And, I think it supports what we had talked about of, you know, finding pitches that go to those different quadrants. You know, the batters just have a lot to think about at that point. Yeah, because I talked with Hefner a lot about that, too, in the last episode, which was that a pitcher that has two things, uh, the batter can handle that and they can game plan. When a pitcher has three things they can do, 
comes really hard at four things. So the more things that you can do, the more things about us to think about, it becomes, I, I described it as a, a jack of all trades, master of none. So if they try to be ready for all of your pitches, they will master none of them. And I've always described as uh, all of these batters, as you go further up, know exactly what you throw, the shape, the speed, everything. But they don't know when and where you're going to throw them. Right. You know, uh, and they don't know the speed sometimes. Like Bronson Arroyo talked about using the same pitch at different speeds. So he would he would he would talk about throwing soft. So we throw like say his sinker, say his sinker is 91. He would throw his sinker at 83. So it essentially became a different pitch. Yeah. And that's that's pitching. I mean, how do you think of it in terms of what you mix with your pitches? I mean, I definitely haven't gotten into that area of you know taking some off the fastball. I've heard of a couple of guys doing that. You know, while I was at DBU, Colin Poche was like the pinnacle of pitching um you know an example he had passed through the program at that point but he was a guy that ramp it up to 95 96 and then you know next thing you know you take a little off and you start 81 mile an hour fastballs and you know uh but you know same thing what you mentioned about bronson it's like those guys are playing the game within the game um you know for yeah, me bronson. i just i try to i try to change the shapes you know locations mainly um you know i could definitely benefit from maybe taking some off you know and uh, the front to back kind of thing, but no, it's, it's cool stuff. Yeah. It, it, it's a, a, a multiplier then. So for example, if you've got three pitches and now if you can make one of those pitches hard or soft, you essentially have four pitches, yep. you know, you know, Bronson used it in a different way. He used it as a way to ramp up, uh, his command in a bullpen. So he's starting out slow and working up, and he thought that helped him uh, uh, have better command. Now, we were talking about overcoming obstacles, and, and, and uh, this year you got Tommy John. You've, you've been going through recovery very well. You're throwing now. Uh, you've got your brand-new target behind you. It's the electronic version. So, uh, so how's well, no, it going? Sorry, no. by, by what you said, you have the manual version and the automatic version. Right, right, right. Sports edition. No, <laughs> yeah, and, and this target, you also helped with too. Remember, I had the first one, and you remember when we first threw to it, I had a switch in the back, and the yep. vibration of the impact made the switch turn off. <laughs> so we yeah, had to get rid of switches. We're drilling the, the holes through the cellophane, shatters. Yeah. I mean, same thing. You gotta, you gotta trial and error it. You know, find a way. And exactly. we could have called it quits right there and said, "Oh, this ain't gonna work." But no, uh, we don't. We don't, uh, hey, we're boils. We don't do that. <laughs> do or do not. There is no try, right? Yeah. You know how much everyone knows we've been involved with data in the books we've written. Okay. Uh, and I'm always telling people. Uh, even I was talking with Scott Lovecamp the other day about this about when using data, but not, not having data be used blindly. I always try to remind people that data is kind of a tool that is used to give you a guideline or it's, it's part of the sense you use it. Like you're, you're reading batters, you see what the take is, what their flinch is. You look at the situation on the field. You might look at a heat map, but the heat map might be for uh, several at-bats 
you know, 20, 30 at bats in one heat map. And I try to remind people that when they look at that data, well, uh, it doesn't give the context of what happened. For example, if they're giving you a heat map with sliders hitting a location, they're not showing you sliders that pr were preceded by a sinker or preceded by a cutter. Okay. And so like a slider preceded by a cutter or a sinker or some other pitch, it might have a different result than the other. So I, I like, for example, like when they give a grade to a pitch, I don't agree with that because I think a pitch is only as good as the setup pitch. And I think a lot of people forget that. So they give a grade to a pitch and they chase a metric. They want to get the certain movement, not realizing that, it may be the pitch before it that enhanced that pitch. I, I, how do you deal with that? Well, my first thought was, you know, as you were first breaking that down was, um, you know, when we're, using, when we're working with TrackMan and, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in shapes as, as a pitcher, you know, you're looking at, I feel like a lot of guys look at maybe three or four things like velo, the vertical horizontal, um, maybe the location, um, but probably the big one is the velo and the shape. Like, you know, everybody's chasing that number, and that's good in a certain setting. You know, when you're training and trying to figure out a, a specific shape or whatever it is, and it's trouble when you're getting ready for a game and you're throwing and you're looking at the unit and you're saying, "Oh my, my, you know, the shape is awesome." All right, I'm ready. And then you get in the game and you forgot to realize, oh, um, I need to put this shape in the zone or where I need it in the zone kind of deal. And you know, that was something that really clicked for me and about halfway through the 22 season was like, you know, I'd been chasing shapes all year and was finding a way to put them in the zone and mix it up and stuff. But then I got greedy and was really trying to up the shapes on the pitches and stuff like that and started getting away from what made me you know, valuable and what made me a a competitor, you know, a player that's going to uh, get the job done. That's putting the ball where I need to, when I need to. So, you know, distinguishing that was super important, um, you know, and then not, not just go ahead and saying, well, you know, my pitch is my slider. Like I'm just going to go ahead and rip sliders, you know, all day. Like, well, kind of what you said is like, you know, as much confidence I had in my slider and I do have my slider, I have to recognize when when to set it up or how to set it up to make it that exactly. great slider. So exactly. Because yeah. if you throw three sliders in a row, I think the third one goes out of the park. Now there's there is a time for that. You know, you have to be that's part of playing the game. You have to be able to read when the time is for that. You know, there's some guys yeah. that just won't make the adjustment. All right, then why, you know, uh this game's hard enough. Why make it harder? You know what I mean? Well yes, but I always take the point that I assume in especially double A and up, they're all professional hitters that they're going to make the adjustment. So that's why I take it to that point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, on the contrary, there's, you know, everybody has a good day and a bad day, you know, and you got to be able to recognize when, when you got a guy where you want him. And sometimes you have to recognize when not to overthink things. Um, but nine out of 10, you have to be ready to set up, those, you know, your pitches. Um, well, there's I some guys that can just go ahead and just repeat it and they'll get a good result for an inning or two, but 
uh, in my scenario, trying to go deep in games and stuff like that, you have to change things up and keep guys guessing. Yeah, I think it's so important that you can recognize what the batter is capable of and trying to do. And then in order to take advantage of that, you need to command all of your pitches. So if you can command all of your pitches, now you based upon what you can see, you can take action. You know? Yeah. You know, like he like he've talked about uh, a sinker guy, they they're trying to bring him up. So they're waiting for a ball to be up before they swing. And then a sinker up gets hit out of the park. Same thing with the guy with a uh, he talked about a, a high rise fastball guy. They're trying to wait for the ball to be lowered. Like he says, beat it to the belt. So the batters all have their plans waiting for a mistake. Yep. And I think the better command you have, the less chance you're going to have a mistake. I also wanted to talk to you about the difference between, I saw big differences, guys from the GCL and lower levels, then when you get to double A and up, I saw a big difference between batters there. And, and how do you deal with those two different styles? Yeah. Um... I mean, a less experienced player, uh, from what I saw, they seem to be ultra aggressive, undisciplined, you know, so you can, you can pretty much generate some good results by throwing the ball anywhere around the zone, you know, and then you could walk them out off the plate pretty easy. But then once you get into some, you know, guys that have a plan put together, um, you know, they're talented uh, across the board, it's like, that's where it becomes super important to be able to, you know, move the ball around and um, and listen to what you what you see from them, you know. When I talk to hitting coaches, they often talk about uh, the best hitters looking at lanes because they're looking for a certain pitch in a certain lane. And I think as a pitcher, uh, you have to be able to recognize that. I, have you seen that, like pitcher, batters that were hunting a certain pitch or a lane? And then how do you yeah. deal with that? That was probably the biggest lesson learned in double A is that you have to, you've got to recognize these guys are looking for something, um, you know, and they get better at that, at, you know, the higher you go. Um, yeah. And then that was part of what I tried to get at listening to the batter, so to speak, but it's really recognizing is what I should have said. Um, mm -hmm. They'll tell you what they're trying to do. And the quicker that you can pick up on that, the better you can approach, you know, handling them and getting them out. Um, and that definitely, that was a big learning moment, you know, still digging through on that, but, um, you know, you can tell just how a guy's swinging, what they're looking for. If they're lunging and going for a slider, you know, you could think, oh, this guy's aggressive. You know, he's not, he's not really on it, but I found that that's the guy that is looking for the slider and he's going to go get it. He's trying to go get it. And if you do leave that ball, you know, too much plate or too too high, even if it's off the plate, well, they're going to get it. Um, so, like, you know, that's a that was the first example that jumped out to me. Of, oh, that guy's not unable to hit the slider. He's trying to go get my slider. Yeah. yeah so. And then you have to have the uh, what I call the pitching gambits, where you have to have a plan ahead of time of how do you deal with a guy who is aggressive hunting and leaning for your slider? Well, what's the pitch you throw to that guy? And right. so I talk about gamuts with people to figure out, well, not that you want to be scripted in how you pitch, 
but more that you don't have to think too much because you already got that in your toolbox. Okay, he's doing this. This is what I do. Kind of like in chess. You know, in chess, you have chess gambits. So you don't have to think as much in opening moves, you know? There's certain guys you can tell they have an approach. They're sticking to it. They're not coming off it. And from there, you have to, you know, go ahead. But there's also guys that it seems to me they'll change mid at bat. And being able to pick up on that is crucial because, you know, you could have a guy that's got no chance on your slider, but then he's like, okay, well, let me think about what we went over with hitting coaches. And for me, going to my slider a lot. So maybe he then adjusts his plan to try to take the slider away. And then at that point, it's like, well, if I've already shown a sinker in that case, if he's a righty and he's taking, you know, he's trying to take away my slider and he's still able to stay on the fastball, well, good luck hitting the changeup kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. those are kind of things that jump yeah, that's out what to I was talking about. That's how you like, that's how you adjust mid game. Um, there's tons of options to go through. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. It's like these fallback plans of when I see this, this, or this, I know what I'm going to, like in I chess. Mean, so that's really how I try to approach every outing. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to hide any of my best stuff. I'm going to come at these guys with what I do well and, um, yeah. and go from there. But what you just said is it's important to recognize when to fall back and what to fall back on. Yeah, it's like I said, that like the chess opening moves, you kind of, if he does this, I know what I'm going to do already. I may have three options I'm going to do, and I'll pick one of them, but at least I have them in my pocket. Yeah. The other thing we were talking about, too, was being a good teammate. And I saw an interview with you that I tell people about. I, re- I was really impressed with. And you were talking about how in Suffolk, you didn't really root for or against your fellow pitchers. And so when you went to DBU, they taught you to kind of be behind all your teammates and root for them. You described how you carried that into the minor leagues and that it helped your teammates and it helped you at the same time. Yeah, I mean, professional baseball is a different arena because a lot, you know, you, this is everybody's career. They're trying to make it to the big leagues. And so it can be a little self-consuming, you know, to wear on you a little differently. Whereas in college and high school and all that, um, it's really focused on, well, if the team does well, then I had a good day. You know what I mean? For the most part. Whereas professionally, if you don't have a good day, but the team does well, you know, it kind of sucks. You know, it wears on you a little bit. So if you can find a way to take that pressure off and focus on, you know, people around you, especially uh, in a professional setting, like you're with these guys six to eight months out of the year, you know, you're with them all the time. It's like you might as well try and find a way to enjoy it because there's going to be a lot of ups and there's going to be even more downs, you know, along the way. So uh, not to be cliche, but baseball is a game of failure. So you find a way to move past that, and you know, it's going to make the day-to-day even better. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. You don't want to ride the highs too high and the lows too low, you know. Or in that poem, if you remember, it said uh, they treat uh, triumph and disaster as the imposters they are, you know. Hurdles, get over the hurdles. Yeah, remember I had that poem on a plaque in your room. Yep. So when you're working on command, well, you know, using the target like behind you. How are you thinking about working command? Is it solely in your mind, like the focus, or are you looking for a feel? Uh, like what are the what are the ways that you work on command? Well, first thing, um, 
you know, you have for me, I have to identify the spot. I mean, I think a lot of guys do, but like having this, it's a little bit different where you can, it's not moving, you can see it. So like, okay, that's where my desired end location is. For me, I try to then take a position between my end location and my starting location and uh, essentially throw the ball. I call it, I throw a ball through a hoop. You know, I'll put the hoop between me and the target and try to get it, you know, to break or whatever, start there and end in a different spot. Um, but I think we kind of touched on it before is, you know, when you start introducing, you know, track man and stuff like that to give you some feedback um, while using something like this, that's when I start really putting this feel with a number, with a location kind of deal. So like, you know, if I'm using all three, um, that to me is what's going to help me really hone in because at the end of the day, it really is something I feel off my fingertips. Um, mm -hmm. But all, all three things that I just mentioned, are, you know, when I add them up and when they're right, that's how I really find what that good feel is, what I'm going to be able to take into a game. Yeah, so it's focusing on the target, but also having a keen awareness of how your pitches move because you're going to have a start location and end location. So you really have to know how your pitches are moving. And like you said, in a bullpen before a game, you're kind of using the track man to see how your pitches are moving because then you yeah, know how to just a, That's just a checkpoint at that point. Yeah, because now you all know how they're moving and you know how you're going to start them to have an end point, right? Yeah, I mean, that for me, it's really just, you know, okay, if it felt good off my hand, do I, am I validated on the, you know, on the iPad there saying like, oh yeah, that, that shape was good or it wasn't good. You know, there's been plenty of days where I go out there and I'm executing my pitches, but track man doesn't like me. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not my friend that day, but at that point you just have to say, all right, I'm going to battle with what I got. You know, I'm going to well, make it here happen. Here comes another thing that I talked about a few times on the show that I think when you have a good bullpen before a game, uh, it may be not such a good thing for you because now you go into the game, you think, oh, I'm going to have a good game, totally confident, blah, blah. When you have a bad bullpen for the game, you're nervous. Oh, now your, your senses are very heightened, and now you're really heightened. Your, your focus is heightened, and you wind up having even better game. Like, for example, the time before your AAA no-hitter, talk about that bullpen, and then let's talk about that game. Well, I don't think we have to talk about that game a whole lot. You just kind of worked on that one. But that you know, was one of the worst bullpens I'd ever thrown. You know, really didn't have the feel for my shapes or anything. And that was one of those days TrackMan didn't like me. You know, so I'm just like, well, uh, you know, it's time to go. And I don't feel prepared. But at that point, you just have to take whatever you've got and be a competitor and play the game. And, um, you know, you're going to try and make adjustments along the way. And, which I'm thankful that day I was able to make adjustments, but, you know, had I just taken, you know, what that pregame session gave me or told me, you know, I wouldn't, have, I would not have expected that game to follow. So, um, but do you think, if, good if, do you think that it uh, caused you to have a heightened sense of focus and awareness when you started pitching? I definitely made me focus on, yeah, executing my pitches, you know, getting them to the spots I needed to, you know, there's 
because I struggle with that pregame, but more more so I struggled with the shapes of the pitches. So I think that's a good lesson that, you know, yeah, shape is good. Shapes are important. Stuff is important, you know. But at the end of the day, if you can command your pitches, execute them, you know, and get the ideas of what your plan are, you know, and take care of them, you're probably going to have some success. Yeah, because you were in that zone all game. I remember that. It's like first pitch strikes. You you were you were just they couldn't sit back and wait and take pitches from you. They had to be ready. And yeah. then when you mix and then when you mixed your pitches, then you had them off balance all the time. Yeah. And there's definitely been games where I feel really good coming out of the bullpen and do have a good game. But there's also been a couple of games where I feel really good with my pregame session and then come into the game and it's like, you know, you maybe may, I'd hate to say it like this, but could it have been that I let my guard down, you know? So. Well, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. I've been asking people about whether that overconfidence uh, is a bad thing and whether uh, that, that uh, feeling of unease of not, you know, like you're not totally confident, so you're fully aware and, and your senses are heightened, that maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. What do you think? I, I don't know. I'm just asking, you know. I mean, I, I couldn't give you a, if I gave you an answer, it'd be just as good as the next person, you know what I mean? But I do think there's something there. Um, I do think that focus makes a big difference in command. Like you remember when we were first uh, practicing, I always had to kind of close your eyes, visualize the pitch move, hit a target. I always thought that visualization, that focus was really important. What kind of uh, techniques do you use to kind of help with your command in that way. Do you visualize that still? I mean, I have for sure. And, you know, there's moments that I do that. Um, I think the biggest thing, what I try to hit on there is I always try to throw to a, a midway point between me and my target. And, you know, you I could see it by looking, you know, if I'm looking from me to you, like I could put something in between us and I feel like in that, it's kind of that visualization of... Yeah, because you know how your pitchers are moving. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah. And depending on the day, if they're not moving the way I want them to, you know, I don't harp on trying to hit that same spot. I just say, okay, well, if they're not moving the way I want them, Let's I'm going to move the spot, spot over. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. It's not rocket science. Yeah, this game's hard enough, so try to find ways to keep it simple. And um, I think that helps a lot for me, um, making adjustments during the games. Mm-hmm. So, uh, last year they wanted you to get more innings in, so they had you go back to Double A as a starter, and you crushed it. You had the most innings of any Yankee minor leaguer, and you had the second most innings of any minor leaguer of any team. You also had ten quality starts in a row, the most in I don't know how many years. Uh, but you started the year a little bit struggling. Uh, what happened there? How did you overcome that? And what did you find that you overcame? I think probably the biggest thing was early that year, I was, you know, trying to, I felt a little bit of pressure coming off of 2021, trying to you know, find a way to make another good year, you know, put another good year together. Um, you know, so that's not the right frame of mind to be in. You got to come in and be ready to attack and that kind of thing. Um, touched on it. A little earlier as well, focused a little bit too much on shapes, you know, versus the 
command and the execution of those pitches. And once I kind of kicked the numbers to the side, you know, and stopped looking at the iPad to try and find my shapes, you know, because at that point, okay, I had had them. Now it's time to put them where I need them. And once I started focusing on putting them where I needed them, then we started, you know, seeing those good games kind of stack together. Well, that's a good point then. How do you know where you need them? Because having command is one thing. Uh, knowing where to command it, where to throw them is another level. Yeah, I mean, the big, the biggest, the starting point for that was simply just get them in the zone. You know, I've always been a guy that relies on pounding the zone. Um, yeah. And I'm, I do I'm going to continue to be a guy that relies on pounding the zone and moving the ball. Oh, well, that's that's you, yeah. Right, that's fine. So when I'm not doing that, you know, it's a big, it's a big wrench in the mix. You know, I gotta, you know, fix that. Um, so that was the that was the starting point, and then from there, you know, started started finding the blue zones and you know where the ball was not getting hit and that kind of thing. So um, just kind of just kind of ran with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important that uh, uh, we talk about having a certain number of pitches that I like to say that you have to have all your pitches commanded. Uh, but then there are days where you might have you only command one, the others you barely have control over. Like, how do you work through days like that? And, you know, of course, when you're commanding all your pitches, then you get no hitters and all that stuff. Uh, but then there are other days where you've got you don't have all your weapons, you know. Yeah, I think, I think you hit on the majority of days where you don't have all of your weapons. Um, it's a game of adjustments, and you know, finding it along the way is certainly uh, what seems to happen for me more times than not. But most most of the time, I'm going to go into a game. I'm going to try to make sure I have my sinker, or I'm going to try to make sure I have my slider. Like, you know, if I get one of those two working, all right, I can pitch off of them um and then hopefully you know along the way i'm able to make those adjustments and um you pick up that third pitch or the set you know whatever it is you pick it up later in the game and you know finish strong kind of deal but um yeah i can't think of many games where you know had all four working and i think i sound like a lot of pitchers out there you know like you're not going to have it all together at uh you know 95% 95% of the time, maybe yeah, less. Yeah, it's like that saying from DBU, uh, we always talk about winners find a way, right? Yeah. Like you you got to find a way. And it's like... Uh, it doesn't so matter like what the iPad says. At the end of the day, when you cross the line, you know, you got to go out there and you got to be ready to beat, win the game. Yeah, and the other one that you and I talk about all the time from uh, Monty Python is none shall pass, you know? Yeah, no free passing. Those are bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the other one. No free passes. I always say that because if you give up two walks and a home run, you're down three. If you oh, two, two walks and a base hit, there you go. Yeah. So the walks are they're, they're really bad, you know. But um, I think the mindset is re- that's why I was talking about uh, the mindset before. I think mindset is is really important, you know. And I and including being overconfident, I think, is not good. You know, you know, yeah, I don't you think you got to find you got to find what works for you. Um, I'd yeah. like to think for me, I found staying even across the board really helps. Yeah. Now, what is your resting heart rate? 
under 40, 38. Yeah, that that's that's controlling uh, your your emotions a lot too, because I think uh, being able to kind of stay steady when things are going all around you is also important to focus and everything else, you know? Oh yeah. Nothing's worse than covering the bag at first base. And now you got to try to compose yourself, get your breath down, make a pitch. And now you got 15 to 20 seconds to do it. So. Yeah. And then running the third base to cover and back. Yeah, exactly. That's a good thing to bring up. Like uh, there are days where things aren't going well, you know, how do you rein that in? And, and and kind of push that aside so you can go forward, you know, that's a skill to doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's the theme of uh, professional baseball for sure, the theme of baseball. I remember, yeah. I remember one game going to see you, I think it was in Pennsylvania. We were waiting in line, we were like delayed. And before we got in, you had started the first inning, I think you had given up two or three home runs. All right, and then we go in to watch the rest of the game, and you did all right, but it was you just had a rough beginning, and I kept thinking to myself how impressed I was because to, you didn't get rattled, and it was it was rough to handle that, but you found a way to push it aside to push through. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, you just have to recognize, you know, not every day is going to go your way. Um, but all you can control is what's ahead. So, I mean, it's, I'm just going to keep it real simple there. It's, you can't worry about what happened. You just have to recognize, okay, that didn't work. Let me try something new. Yeah. But you remember that day, right? Unfortunately, there's a couple of days like that, but yeah. Yeah. There's been some bad ones, but also I think days like that can be good lessons. If you, if you learn from them, they can be good for you. If you don't learn from them, then of course, you know, they're bad days. You know? Yeah. But I think, but I think they're, they're a hard, they're hard lessons to learn, but they're valuable to learn, you know? And then the other thing, uh, uh, my favorite physicist, uh, Richard Feynman, had always said the best way to learn something is to try and teach it. Uh, I'm a big believer that if when you try to teach something, it causes you to find different ways to explain it and understand it. And uh, you've been giving lessons to kids lately. How's that going? I mean, it's solid. It definitely brings you back to the basics and uh, gets you thinking about things. And we've had the conversation plenty of times where it's like, you know, trying to boil it down to this kid. And next thing you know, I got this new understanding. So, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. Some, there's some truth there. Yeah, I think it helps you. It helps them. You know, I think it's uh, it it forces you to find different ways to think about the same, you know, problem or technique. You know, yeah. it, this is a really simple game that we make really hard sometimes. You know, the game is well, definitely the, hard, but at, well, at the level you're playing, it gets little intricacies. You know, it's more yeah, difficult. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's you got to do a couple things right. You know what I mean? And uh, you just have to find a way to do that every day. But sometimes there's like those moments when things don't go your way or you give up three home runs or whatever, you know, and you, you're sitting there scratching your head. You can sit there and overcomplicate things a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes there's a time to do that. Sometimes you have to pull things apart and figure it out. But yeah, I think, uh, I think after the game is when you do that, you know. What I'm getting at is sometimes the overwhelming majority of these moments are, okay, let's not panic. Let's not overdo it. You know, it's pretty clear that 
okay, maybe the pitch selection was poor or the execution was poor. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't have to go and reinvent the wheel of what you yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think uh, pitch selection and, and sequencing, it's a, a big factor because I've seen many times where two pitches are thrown and reverse the order, it's a strikeout. Reverse the order, it's a home run. You know, I've seen that many times. Now, uh, with the pitchers you've seen that have been successful, that do well, what do you say is like a common quality? Kind of, what are the common things they have in common? I mean, I would say the majority of them have, have a go-to pitch and are working with at least two consistent pitches. Like they're just, they're just filling them up, you know, filling the zone up with them. Um, now, is that with control or command? Well, Just at, least, control. at least, at least one they're commanding. You know, what I mean, they're moving it around. Uh, that's their go-to. Um, and then after that, it's I would say two more that they can control. Um, and then the really good pitchers, they got two that they're commanding, at least. So, and that's that's a really tough thing to do. Um, but yeah. So uh, what would you say is the best advice you ever got? And you don't have to say it's my text that I send you every game, which is be you, command, and miss. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, along the lines of that, you know, just knowing who you are, um, you know, that's something that you, re you reiterate every game. Um, probably and I think I got that. Explicitly said. <laughs> Was Zobrist. I think I got that from when Ben Zobrist had told you that, right? Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of guys I've seen that don't know who they are and they're trying different things all the time. And it's hard to be consistent when you're inconsistent, you know? So um, I don't even know if that makes sense the way I said it, but yeah, you get I know what, what you I'm mean. trying to say. Yeah. I know what so you mean. Like, um, yeah, so you, it's you like, it's like that rest, it's, it's like that restaurant that no one goes there because it's too crowded. Right. And when you get to the fork in the road, take it. <laughs> oh, geez. They all make sense when you really look, listen to them. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's probably the first thing. And then after that, I'd say it's being able to, um, you know, have a routine that works um, and sticking with it and knowing when to make those adjustments. Because again, I've seen plenty of guys, Con, con, you know, constantly make adjustments to their routine and routine and change things. And it's just like, well, did you really think about like why you're changing that and that kind of thing? So I, rem I remember talking to you a long time ago when you first year you're playing, I was saying that before you change anything, we got to sit down and talk about it. Really think about it so that you're not hopping from one thing to the other. Cause I, I saw that as a pro could be a big problem too. Yeah. So and especially the higher levels, uh, again, you're doing, you're there for a reason because you're doing a couple of things really well. So, you know, when you go to make a change, think about well, what's going to be affected by this change. Yeah, it's important, you know. Uh, at the end of the show, I always put a list of nine things that I think are important for a pitcher to have. And that I tell everyone that if you had all nine, you'd be a Hall of Famer. So everyone wants them all. But I'd say try to pick your top four uh, that you think are the most important. So I'm going to put them on the screen. 
and then I'm going to read them off so that um, you know people listening can know what they are. Okay. Okay. So the top things are character, command, changing speeds, movement, max velocity, sequencing, reading batters, mental toughness, and know who you are. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to say command, know who you are, reading batters, and I'll go with movement. Okay. I think that was the fastest anyone picked them <laughs> in 25 episodes. I think right, probably so the biggest... No, I was going to say, I think probably the most important, um, you know, you got to start with knowing who you are. Like, yeah. like that's something yeah, that's forward with yeah, me. Like, we keep hammering that one. Like, yeah, because I think, like you said, is that it, it affects everything you do, how you work out, what you work on. Because right. if you're focusing on things that, if you're trying to be a power pitcher and you're not a power pitcher, well, that's not going to do any good. And right. if you're a power pitcher trying to focus on your style of pitching, they're not going to get by because they don't have all the qualities you have. So, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, you start there. Um, then I think it goes without saying, if you're able to put the ball where you want, commanding it, like, it's, it's going to be a good day. You know, yeah, we, we, I hit, was we hit on it where um, I didn't have the best stuff coming out of my hand, you know, but I put the ball where I needed to, made adjustments along the way, but, like, um, that was the that was the first step in having some success is okay put the ball where I needed to. Well, yeah, like in that that no hitter. Like I always tell people, it's not the most movement you want. It's actually you got to command it. And if you don't, if you can command something, even with less movement, you're going to have success over someone who has more movement because the more yeah. movement, a lot of times the batter was will pick up on the extra movement and they'll lay off it. Yep. So sometimes more movement is worse. You know, so yeah. But I think, after I that, think, no, I was gonna say that, after that, reading those batters. I mean, if you can move the ball around and know what to move around and when to move it around based on what you're seeing, like that makes sense to me. You're gonna have a good, uh, good day. Yeah, and and I told you the story about my friend Emo was talking to a group of high school pitchers, along with Jamie's cousin was there. You remember down North Carolina? You mentioned. And he was standing. Yeah. And he's on a chalkboard. He wrote out, okay, what is the primary job of a pitcher? And they're all shouting out, get the highest speed, the velocity, you got to spin it, you got to break and everything. And he started writing on the board, O-U-T. And it was a lot of times people forget what the job of the – it's like you need to get the most outs with the least amount of runs, the least amount of pitches. And they're so enamored with getting the most spin or the most vertical break that they forget what their job is. Their job yeah. is to get outs with least with no runs. Right. Now those other things may be ways to help you get outs, but you need to find out what your way is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of how the show was born, is that we're talking about all the different things that you need to have success. And having high velocity can help. But that is only one lever of many. You have command and, you know, movement and character and 
all sorts of things that will help you succeed. And that's one of nine, like the list I showed you. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, when you watch videos online, people are only focusing on one of the nine things you need. Yeah. And then my last one, movement. I mean, I'm not necessarily talking about the most movement. I'm talking about that that right movement, you know, that late movement. Yeah, no, movement is critical. Yeah. It's absolutely important. And uh, uh, a simple thing like changing speeds, like when we talked about Bronson taking his uh, his sinker and making it to two pitches. Well, you could have a sinker and a changeup and do that too. But now if you have a sinker, a changeup, and you have two sinkers and a changeup, you've got three pitches. And yeah. now a batter, if you have, he has to think about three things or four things. The more things that he has to worry about you going the zone with, uh, the harder time he has. That might be one of those things that goes even under the batter's radar, you know what I mean? Where they don't even realize that it's that fifth pitch they're dealing with. But exactly. It doesn't and, matter because and it it's different. Right. Bronson pitched for 16 years in the big leagues, throwing 90, a 91 mile an hour sinker. And he's yeah. a, in the Reds Hall of Fame. I mean, he's he was an awesome pitcher. That's now, pretty good. Yeah, by the standards you see people talk about online, he should have never been a Hall of Fame or let alone 16 years. But we know that there's more than one way to uh, to win. Great example. No. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I don't know why it took 24 episodes before you to get on. No, we I just needed to sit in the weeds and pull some ideas from some other people. No, that was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'll talk to you like every day. I talk to you later. <laughs> See you. Yeah. Don't forget to hit subscribe to get notified when new episodes are released. Pitching Command Show, brought to you by Command Tracker, the smart target that MLB and D1 teams rely upon to measure and train command. Many throw hard, but few command. Visit commandtracker.com.